You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Forefront. Uh, glad you're here in person. Uh, and for those of you watching online, you're glad you're joining us this morning from wherever you are, whether it's cold or warm. Um, we are glad you're here this morning. As we start a new series called The Wandering Years, uh, not the wonder years, but the wandering years, as we're kind of kind of trying to capture this idea and this journey and this experience of Jesus as he was going through his own development, right? From this time of his baptism, from the time of him wandering in the wilderness, from the time of him doing his first miracle and discerning what the timing of that would be at a wedding, to the text we'll be in today where he um, is, decides to sort of pull this like classic home alone teenage rebellion thing where he dis- distances off from his parents and decides to stay at the temple with the religious leaders and his parents are in this frenzy trying to find him. I, I've spent an overwhelming amount of time, um, or I served an, an overwhelming uh, white congregation as a youth director some time back. I did that from 2008 to 2010. It was at First Baptist Church and in this particular congregation, it was, there was a, an experience that happened one Sunday that really jarred me and it's always stuck with me. Um, there was a black family that walked in the doors of the church and they stood out and there was a white greeter who went up to them and introduced herself, began to have conversation and I could hear kind of the ins and outs of what they were saying. But the last thing that I heard this greeter ask was, are you looking for Second Baptist Church? I kind of clenched my pearls and pressed my ear in a little further to hear what they might say. They said, no, we're looking for First Baptist Church. And without even taking another breath, they walked into the sanctuary and took a seat. You see, you may not know this, but Second Baptist Church in Elgin, Illinois, was founded in 1864 by 110 folks who were formerly enslaved peoples from a plantation in Alabama. And there was deeply rooted in the culture of this town that folks who were white went to First Baptist, folks who were black went to Second Baptist. This is a suburb of Chicago. That this was deeply ingrained in the thought enough, <laughs> literally 146 years later after that church had been founded, that a white greeter at a primarily white Baptist church would say to a, a black family visiting, basically, do you belong here? Is this really the place that you're looking to come today? Because you don't really fit in here. Looking back now on my own journey, I've contextualized that and made sense of why that upset me so much more. I didn't really understand what it meant to be an anti-racist church at that time in my journey. I didn't really understand what it meant to embrace the diversity of expressions of worship and Christian traditions. I, I really just kind of had one way in view of seeing things. I knew that wasn't really a nice thing to say to that person, but I also kind of thought, well, maybe they were just trying to be helpful. Not helpful. I'm sorry. Not helpful. I look now back at that experience and I wonder if this greeter would have turned away a bronze-skinned Galilean Jesus if he also had darkened the door of First Baptist Church. And perhaps maybe it would have been better for them to take his, for Jesus to take his journey to Second Baptist Church than to sit in a church where he would have been looked at with some side eye and wondered if he was in the right place because of the bronze skin gleaning from him. 
Today in our text, as we take this journey of what it looks like to belong, we see this story of Jesus and taking a journey as a 12-year-old with his family to the temple for the very first time. This would have been Jesus' first journey to the temple. At 12 years old, he would have been able to enter for the very first time because you're not considered an adult until you're 12 years old in the Jewish culture. So at 12, he would have been able to finally be in this temple that he had seen other people experience and go to and enjoy. Now he, as a man, gets to enter. Though once once he visits and the partying is over and he leaves, his parents leave, and they leave in a large group of family gathering. This isn't like, they're not like irresponsible parents or something. They would have left in a large family gathering. The kids likely would have been all hanging together, and then the adults would have been together. And after some time, they, they realize that they've parted ways, and somehow Jesus isn't with them, and Jesus is actually at the temple. And they later go and they find Jesus. And they ask him why he did this, and why he's there, and why he's at the temple, and why he didn't journey with them. And he basically acts like, Seriously? You're wondering why I'm in the temple? Did you forget my purpose in life? Did you forget my reason that I'm here? Did you forget all of these things? This is where I belong in my father's house. That's how Jesus describes it as Angel alluded to earlier, the value of a father. I wonder often how Jesus might have felt knowing that Joseph wasn't his actual father. I wonder what the idea of a father in heaven would have meant for Jesus. When I think about it for me, I think about not having much of a father figure in my life and what much that meant to me. I just said to Austin the other day, there was a real sentimental scene on the TV uh, um, for a show we were watching where these, this daughter was really bonding with her father. And I said, I've never known what that's like. I wonder what that would be like to be able to lay your head on your dad's shoulder and him read a book to you. And I wonder what Jesus felt like growing up and he could finally be in what is the house of God, the, the house of his father, and he didn't want to leave. Wanted to bask in it for a little longer. I imagine many of us at Forefront, we can identify with the feeling of, of walking into a new church, maybe being approached by a greeter, or maybe being in a church our whole life and then at some point realizing maybe we don't belong here. Whether that's because of a revelation that we realized on our own or was because somebody else made it explicitly clear to us. Maybe it's because of your age. Maybe you got to a certain age where you thought, man, I look around the room and I don't see any, any white-haired people or no-haired people. I don't see anybody with salt and pepper. And and do I belong here? And maybe somebody made you feel like you don't belong here because you don't know a particular song or a particular reference because of your age. Or maybe you look really young and you walk into a space and you think, I wonder if my children will ever have a place here. I wonder if my children will ever be made to feel like they're welcomed or maybe the noise and the rattling they're making in the seats is annoying people and they want us to just leave. Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you've been into a church where you also were discriminated against because of the color of your skin or because your ability. Maybe you have been questioned because of your sexual or gender identity. Maybe you questioned your place in the community when you realized that you were being looked over time and time again because of your gender. You weren't given places of authority in the church. Maybe because you got a divorce or you cohabitated or maybe because you had sex before marriage, clutching my pearls again. So all of a sudden, you were told, you don't belong here in this place. I really should have worn my pearls today. <laughs> I believe this passage this morning where Jesus goes into the temple and, and his, his presence there is sort of questioned by his parents is a reminder to us that Jesus knows all so well what it's like to be questioned of his presence in a place where maybe people think he doesn't belong. 
And it's interesting if you read this story as we will today, and there comes a point in the story when, when Jesus, uh, it, his parents find him, and it says that the religious leaders were amazed by him. They were quite impressed by what his parents had done with this young man. But it's fascinating for me to think about how quickly that changed when this little boy turned into a real grown man in his 30s and started resisting and not just asking questions for the religious leaders, but giving them new answers, answers they didn't like. And it was then that all of a sudden they weren't so amazed and surprised by Jesus. I think when I think of that Jesus at 12 years old and the Jesus at 30 and the Jesus at 33 who then goes to be crucified and definitely not welcomed in the temple any longer, I think about this 12-year-old boy in a church who was loved and adored and at 13 years old given a key to the church so that I could come anytime I wanted and work on things and volunteer and set up chairs on Saturday night before church started the next morning. And people just loved and welcomed me. And, and anytime anybody wondered where I was, my mom would just say, he's probably at church. I mean, I was at church so much that my mom, when it came time to ground me, my mom had nothing to take from me. You're not going to youth group. I'm like, mom, like, honestly, over there, is that real? Over there, yes. Um, mom, like, honestly, I don't understand this isn't computing. Like, all my other friends in youth group, they get, they, they get grounded from, like, not going to other things, and then they have to go to youth group as their punishment. How does this make sense? She's like, well, they're not at church all the time. They don't have a key to church. See, I, I, I belong there. I fit in there. That was where everything made sense to me. But when that boy turned from 12 into 18... And then 25, and that boy decided he didn't like the answers to the questions that the religious leaders were asking about his sexuality, my sexuality. And when I begin to say, you know what, actually, I think that I still belong here even though I am an openly gay man. And they said, oh, no, 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 crucify him, crucify him. And all of a sudden, I didn't belong in the temple anymore. I know that I am not alone in this church. This is a church full of a lot of spiritual refugees, people who've come from different places that were told, you are, do, not, do not belong here anymore, people who made churches that were no longer safe for them, and they had to leave the institutional temple. You know, Luke is the only gospel that we have that actually tells us any stories about Jesus' uh, life as a child. And I think Jesus as a kid is a fascinating thing to know more about. Um, in, in the Apocrypha, there's a book called The Gospel of Thomas. Apocrypha is a, a collection of books that did not make it into our scriptures, but our historical texts that they debated during councils and creeds to be able to decide uh, what books were going to make it in. And so the Apocrypha is the books that didn't make the cut. They're the books that only had one season on Netflix. Didn't come back for a number two. And so the text, it's interesting in the Gospel of Thomas, he gives us several different stories, and we don't know if they're just apocryphal legend or if they're real true about Jesus, but it's kind of interesting. He talks about stories from Jesus' childhood from age 5 to 12, um, about his early education, about how he began to discover that he had all these gifts and these abilities that were different than other kids, and he had to learn how to use those gifts and abilities for good as a child. Kind of sounds like a lot of Disney movies. And he tells several different stories that Jesus does. One is he stretches a beam of wood to help his dad when he's doing a construction project. (laughs) I bet Joseph was all for that. I wonder, there's another story where Jesus is forming a bunch of clay birds, and then all of a sudden he throws them up in the air and they turn into real live birds. The story is also in the Koran attributed to Jesus. And then you also have another story where Jesus' brother is bitten by a snake and he heals his brother. But then we have this last story, which is a story that we find in our text today. 
the same story told very similar, almost all the same details of Jesus in the temple with the religious leaders after deciding not to follow his parents back home with the rest of the crowd. Let's pick up in this story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. This was, like I said earlier, normal Jewish custom. You would go to the temple at Passover time. However, what made this time exceptional is that Jesus was 12. So this time, Jesus actually got to go into the temple as a male. Let me show you a picture here of what the temple structure would have looked like. So this is what the temple was. Can you, you notice over here it says the Court of Women? It's named after the court of women, not because that's where women are belong. It's because that's where women aren't allowed to go. So you would walk into the temple from the, from the very front over here on this side, and outside in the front would have been Solomon's porch, which is where Gentiles could hang out. out they could hang out on the steps of the temple. Couldn't go in. Gentiles could hang out on the steps of the, steps of the temple, Solomon's porch. And then the men would walk in, and they would, they would be able to stand near the court of the women. So they'd stand there. And you see these four corners on each side, chamber of leopards, chambers of woods, galleries. So the galleries is where the women would stand. They were up, elevated, kind of like how we are here in the roulette. The women would be sitting up there. The men would be on the main floor where it was holy. The women were not able to be on the main floor where it was holy. They had to be up, elevated, and not be on the same floor with men. Also, likely children would have been up there with the women. So that's how you have this structure. Then the men would have taken their offering and they would have taken whatever they brought, a pigeon or a goat or whatever that might be. They would bring it into this main entrance area here where you see where the word, word altar is and they would have handed that, their gift to the priest and the priest would have sacrificed it there. And the men couldn't have gone any further than the altar because only the priest could go to this, what you see is the porch and the holies of holies further on in there. Making sense? Good? Yes? Maybe so? Maybe not so? I don't know. Those of you, those of you watching on the live stream... You may be very confused if you can't see me pointing. Nonetheless, uh, this picture speaks for itself. The point that I want to make is this. Mary, the one who literally held the holiest of holies inside of her. Mary, the one who held the temple of God, she couldn't even go into the temple. Couldn't even go into the temple. This woman who, who, who was also made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, this, this woman who literally carried God inside of her was not allowed to press into this physical building of the temple. Only Joseph, and now Jesus for the first time at 12 years old. When I think about that, I, I think about my own journey of understanding women and their role in ministry, women and their equality to men. I remember when I was a youth pastor, there was a woman who came to me one time and she said, I really, really want to be a pastor like you. And I said, like a youth pastor, right? Like work with kids? And she said, no, I want to be like a head pastor of a church. She was in high school. And I remember not having any concept of a girl being a pastor of a church. And so I said, well, I don't think that's possible. I just think maybe youth or children's you could do, but I don't think you could actually be a head pastor of adult men and women in a congregation. I remember her whole countenance changing. I can see it in my mind still. She never did seek ministry because it wasn't in the way she wanted. I could tell she was discouraged and frustrated. And one day I remember her even saying, why would God give me a gift to preach and a passion for ministry and then tell me that I can't do it? I remember being so confused, but it didn't really affect me, so I didn't take the time to do the work. I just thought, she'll figure out where she belongs in all of this. I look back at that time now, and I'm so grateful for the journey that I've taken to be able to begin to see the way in which women have played such an incredible role in the life of the church over history and the way in which women have been continually overlooked and downplayed and underseen. The first time I really realized that was when I was pastoring a church in Kentucky 
and we were in need of some elders to be on the elder board. All the elders were in their late 80s, early 90s. And they, and they looked around the sanctuary, and they were like, well, most of the men in the room are divorced. I don't think we can have them as elders. And I said, well, but all the women in the church are the ones that are leading the ministries. Why couldn't we have the women? Well, women can't be elders. And that's what I began to realize. You see, you tell me they can do all the work, but they can't have the title? They can't make the decisions? That doesn't make any sense to me. It was as if they were able to maintain the holies of holies, but they couldn't go in it. It was as if they could carry the very image of God in their being, but that wasn't good enough. They had to stay on the front porch right on the outside. I think about all of the women in my life, and probably you could think about women in your life, who poured their lives and their hearts and their souls into people, into other men, into, into little boys who grew into men. And those little men were able to go and to be and to do things in the world that that woman who poured into them would never get to experience. What an injustice. And I am grateful for all the ways that Christ and the early church leaders resisted this and continue to resist this today. But guess what? All of these years later, 2,000 years later, we are still fighting for women to have their place at the table and to belong. The fight continues. Let us usher in a new existence for women in the next 500 years of the church. Verse 43 says, After the celebration was all over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. <laughs> they were like, this is, this, this kid's obnoxious. You know, he's always knows, he thinks he knows everything. Like he thinks he's God or something. And because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't, when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him amongst their friends and relatives. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. It's interesting Jesus' posture here. As a 12-year-old sitting amongst the religious leaders, he's listening and asking questions. He's not giving all the answers. He's not acting like I know it all like most 12-year-olds. That's not what he's doing. He's listening. And I bet that alone impressed them. It's interesting to think about at 12 years old when a child would have their bar mitzvah, this would also be the age when Pharisees and Sadducees would begin to handpick who their predecessors would be. Because at 12 years old, they, Pharisees and Sadducees would begin to have an intern or a prodigy that they would pour all their wisdom and everything that they knew about the Torah into and everything about Jewish history so that when they died, all of that was in their mind and their heart would be passed down to their next uh, prodigy and who would be raised up as a religious leader. Jesus grew up in a family of carpenters. Jesus was never going to be chosen as a prodigy at his 12-year-old bar mitzvah. And so Jesus, knowing all of this, he doesn't wait to be sought out. He goes and he seeks it out. He goes to the center of knowledge and wisdom and faith at the time, and he sits at their feet to grow and to learn and to know. And perhaps to teach them even with his questions. He did that all through his ministry. Jesus often taught more, question, more lessons through questions than he ever did through answers. Through story that made people think. I think we live in a world where we want post-enlightenment, everything answers and, and, and clarity and everything's black and white. And I think so often it creates greater division. Instead of living into the nuance, living into the story and the questions and the unknown and the mystery. Verse 48, the story continues. His parents didn't know what to think when he, when he said this to them. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic and searching everywhere. Can you just hear it now? Can you just hear Mary? I mean, as I stand there and I think about Mary and I think about Joseph, sometimes, you know, we, we put them on this pedestal and we, and we think they're probably somehow holier than holier than thou and, and that they've made no mistakes and they were somehow just the perfect parents. But reality is, is they're probably like every other parent. My kid is missing. We have been entrusted 
with God in the flesh and we lost him. We are in deep trouble with Jehovah. Like this is not going to go over well. And so they're frantic and they find him. But, but more than that, let's think about the humanity of these parents, right? Reality is, is this. Their son is getting older. Their son is developing his own independence, his own personality. And in Jewish culture, 12-year-old would have been equivalent to 18 years old in our culture. He wants to make his own decisions. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to be his own person. And all of a sudden, you see the resistance between the parent and the child why are you doing this? You're our baby. And no matter the fact that he just had his bar mitzvah and he is now a man, he will always be their baby. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know? Some of you are triggered because you hate that song. <laughs> but I kind of love it because I, when I think about Mary did not know all the things he would do, but she knew it would be great. She knew that the angel appeared and said that he would usher in a new generation, a new thing, a new love, a new extension of faith. She knew something great would happen, but she didn't know how difficult that would be. She didn't know all that that would require of her or her son. She did not, she was never told that that would also lead to his death. And this is the first moment that all of a sudden she feels like he's breaking off from her. and She just might lose her son. That all of a sudden he's no longer a baby boy. But he's going to be the one that challenges the Roman Empire and the religious leaders and turns it all up upside down. And Mary is scared. As a parent, she is just scared. She doesn't know what to do with this new son's journey. And so in verse 49... Jesus' response and Mary and Joseph's response to all of this, Jesus says, but why did you need to search, he asked her. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Verse 50, but they didn't understand what he meant. Because Mary just didn't know all that would lie ahead. She didn't know that this little boy, this little baby boy that was with her and amidst her presence was so much more than she could ever ask, think, believe, or imagine. He was about to blow her mind on this journey ahead. He was now a man. When I was a kid, um, I, I really struggled. Um, I struggled to find my place in the world. I wasn't good at sports and I wasn't good at the arts. And my mom wasn't quite sure how I was going to turn out when I shared with her that I was gay. She knew that um, she loved me and she knew that that would make life a little harder. It was a hard and long journey. And there were many times when I was placed on the outer edges of the faith community because of my sexuality. When I was placed on the, on, on the bench, it's the biggest sports term I know, um, or I was placed in timeout. When I was, the keys were taken from me in the church and they said, you don't belong. And I continued to like Jesus to fight and say, no, I belong here. Mary and Joseph questioned if Jesus belonged in the temple that day. But Jesus said, Mom and Dad, this is where I belong. I know kids aren't supposed to be running around here, but I'm not a kid anymore. Now starts the next stint of my journey. And there were times when Jesus, that all changed, and Mary and Joseph knew what was ahead, and they believed Jesus' place was right in the temple. But the religious leaders didn't agree anymore. 
And I wonder if that put Mary and Joseph at odds with the temple. I wonder if they were ever kicked out after Jesus died. I wondered if Mary was never allowed to step foot in the church or in the temple again. She was only allowed so far before. I wonder if she was allowed in the synagogues. I wonder what her life and journey ahead would look like. Brian McLaren says, Fellowship is a kind of belonging that isn't just based on status or achievement or gender, but instead it is based on a deep belief that everyone matters. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is loved. No conditions, no exceptions. And so as we consider Jesus' journey and, and, and the doubt that rose for Mary and Joseph and the doubt that would later rise for the religious leaders about Jesus' place among them, I want us to take a moment and to stop and ask and look inward, not just how have we and our place been doubted in the community of faith, but how have we doubted or discouraged other people in their, in their, in their journey of faith? Who are the, the people in the, in, that, that maybe you're not quite sure if they fit based on their beliefs or their gender or their sexuality or their thoughts about certain political affiliations? Who have you made to feel as if they don't belong? I think about the Roman Catholic Church recently considering if they would deny communion to President Joe Biden and other politicians who took certain positions on abortion. I think about how so often we, 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 we draw lines in the sand and we decide to tell people you don't belong because of this or that and this is the only way you're going to exist in this space. I want us to take a moment and look inward this morning. As a church that is inclusive, let us never grow content and think that somehow we are truly inclusive towards all and we have no work to do. One of the things that I have come to see in my own life and journey is that sometimes even the most progressive of churches can sometimes be the most blind because they think we don't need to look inward. I pastored a progressive church once, and after a song that would be really moving, there was a church member that would start clapping his hands, and he would start snapping his fingers, and he would say, I know that's right. He would get real passionate, and then he would start clapping like this after the song. And time and time again, I was amazed that no one in the room would clap with him. And he would be left to clap by himself until the next song started. And sometimes people would even give him a little eye, like, we don't, that's not our custom here, we don't do that. And when I would preach, he would, he would say certain, he would do the call and response, speak back to me, and I would speak to him, and people would look like, what are you doing that's distracting? And this is a church that was committed to being an anti-racist church. Yet over and over again, I could tell that they weren't willing to embrace customs that were different. They weren't willing to make space for people and church traditions and backgrounds and expressions of faith and worship that were different than them. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to, when that guy claps, I'm going to clap. And it'll just be a two of us clapping together. And over time, a few more claps would start. It was never the whole church. It was never half the church. But it was enough that that person kept coming because they said, I feel like I still belong here. But the fact that that person ever even had to say, I feel like I still belong here, meant we were doing something wrong. We weren't looking inward enough to truly be the progressive interdenominational church that God was calling us to be. And so as, as we look inward in this next year and as we look inward as a church, I don't want us to sit here during this sermon and think, oh yes, woe is me, I, don't, I didn't belong, I got kicked out. There's a space and a place for that and let us light that candle and let us weep with you. But let us also look inward and make sure that we are not also doing to others what has been done to us. That we're always drawing the circle wide that we're always making space for people from different traditions and backgrounds and expressions, experiences of the faith, people of different parties and ideals and views. Because I think if we do that, 
I think if we do that, we will truly tear down the walls of the temple and we will truly be the temple of God in our world. We will truly welcome people with arms wide open. All will know that they belong here. Church, will you take that journey this morning? Will you take that journey to continue to be the people that expand the walls of our church, that make sure that all feel that they belong here, that no one ever has a doubt? Let us look inward this morning. Let us consider the ways in which Jesus calls us to make space for all to come into his father and mother's house. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.